Welcome to episode 497 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Alright, Tim, welcome along to episode 480, no, 497 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. Welcome along to 2016, it's the new year, and hopefully you had a party hard New Year's Eve and you're kicking into 2016, although being the type of person you are, I imagine you're probably out there trading right now listening to the podcast. Today's show is a little bit different to what we normally do because it is, uh, we are in our own little holiday break here, and over the holiday break we kind of chuck some different shows out there, and we thought what we'd do today is put one of our legendary Legends of Triathlon podcasts on. And for those who don't know much about Legends of Triathlon, it's a show that we do pretty much once a month. And we've been doing it for about four or five years now. And the whole idea of Legends of Triathlon is we want to capture the stories of triathlon from the people who are in the game at different times throughout the years. And so if you've listened to the show, you'll know that we have a lot of the top pros, both females and athletes and male athletes from those times, but also admin people, race directors, you know, just anyone who had a, you know, media, you know, had a big influence on the sport. Now we started the show a few years ago and the first interview we had was with Spencer Smith. And uh, for those who don't know much about Spencer Smith, he was a, an athlete from the UK in the 90s, uh, had a very successful career, a real character, um, which you're about to find out real soon. So I'm going to chuck that interview on with Spencer Smith. But before we do, let's talk about our sponsor. First of all, we have athlinks.com. Athlinks.com is the place where you store all your race results. And I know most of you guys, or a lot of you guys who are part of the Iron Talk community, are probably already on Athlinks. But if you aren't on Athlinks and you are curious about what it's all about, I highly recommend. I just went on the website and just then just to kind of see. And I didn't log in, I just kind of went to the front page and I put my name in. And basically, well, I only put my last name in Isles. And it just came up with the results of everybody with the name Isles in it. And, you know, I scrolled down the page and my name suddenly starts to appear. And so if you've never actually been on the site, maybe just go on the site and just put on that front page, do a search for your name. And you'll be surprised some of the results that they may find. Because they've got, uh, wait a second, I'll tell you how many race results they've got. They have over 200, no, two. Yeah, 200 million race results on their database. 200 million, man, that's phenomenal. So 200 million race results on their database. If you go to that site and you put your name in, you're bound to find some results with your name. And then once you sign in, you can claim those results. And over time, you can start a collection of your athletic career that you can kind of hold on forever. And as John and I always say, you kind of forget a lot of the races you've done. You might remember the big Ironman races you've done, but you've probably raced a lot in your life. And I'm sure there are a lot of results that you don't have or you don't recall how they went. And that's where a tool like Athlinks is really great. So check it out, athlinks.com. If you haven't signed up, go check it out the front page and uh, start claiming your results and rock and roll. Righto team, oh before I do that, I just have to say big thanks to the patrons, uh, the patrons of the show, you know who you are, you guys are a big part of what we do on the show each week, so we just want to say big thanks to all the patrons, and I hope the patrons had a wonderful Christmas and New Year's as well. But I'm going to put some music on, and then we're going to get Spencer Smith straight into the show. Here's Spencer Smith. Right, so on today's show, the inaugural Legends of Triathlon show, we've got a, a legend of the sport who... And it's appropriate that we're called Legends of Triathlon because we have a legend on the show. We do, and so in the, this era of the of the new millennium, we uh, 
we sometimes don't back, look back on the 90s quite as much as we should and uh, this is a man who through my very early years in the sport uh, was just crushing everybody and I remember in 1992 I think it was he won the World Junior Championships the next year in 93 in Manchester he went on and won the elite um, men's title and then he came down to New Zealand in 94 and won again there um, carried on through the 90s and had a fantastic career and uh, we're going to find out a lot more about this man now so welcome along Spencer Smith Hi there, how are you? That was a nice intro well, it's, and, uh, uh, it's very nice, thank you very much That's quite right, you know <laughs> part of, part of the, the, the show very much is about us trying to keep the, the people that have helped shape our sport um, People know about them, but it's interesting in, in our sport we often talk about how people don't really know the history of the sport that well, so it's important That's for right. us. Yeah. And, that, that, and that to me is very, very frustrating. You know, you know, I, I think triathletes are very, oh, they're pretty selfish people, let's be honest oh, with yeah. ourselves. And um, I think they're really just worried, you know, you know, when you look at cycling, for example, and I was a big cycling fan, um, you know, when you go, when you talk about, we, we're still talking about Merckx and Onkatiel and all these guys, Fignon and uh, the Badger and all these guys. And, and, you know, you don't get that in triathlon. And I think it's very, very sad. Of course, we don't have that history of cycling, but we still have great athletes that have done great things. Even Mark Allen. I mean, hmm. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, you know, his times, his running times are as good as the running times now. So let's not kid ourselves that we're going that much faster because Mark Allen was an absolute you know, it was a true, true legend. And, and you know, he can walk down um, in Kona. He can walk down the street and no one really bothers him. You know, can you imagine that in the Tour de France with Eddie Merckx? Yeah. I mean, he, would abso- he would get absolutely mobbed. And, and I think that's kind of sad. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm anywhere near Mark Allen's kind of stature. But at the end of the day, I do think it is kind of sad that triathletes are so... Um, so worried about the moment and not worried about you know what has happened, the history of the sport. It's very, very important, I think. Mm. Well, that's all going to change now. We, oh, we're, we're changing, mate. We're doing our bit. <laughs> so tell us about, right. you, you, you mm. know, when you came into the sport, I always remember um, mm. people looked at you and you were a legend swimmer. You were normally right up the front of the swim. You crush everybody on the bike. People mm. often probably didn't give you the credit that was due for your for your running ability, and we can, we can talk a bit about that later. But prior to coming into to triathlon, was it a was was it a swimming background you came from? I did. You know, I, I grew up swimming. Uh, I grew up from when I was four years of age until I was 15 years of age uh, swimming. And I think that's what stru- made me very, very structured in my training and very, very disciplined. Because when I got older, um, it was all about swimming, uh, school, swimming. You know, it was a very, very tight schedule that I was on. And um, I think it gave me very, very good discipline and a big engine. You know, it built me a big engine that I was able to then cross over to the sport of triathlon. What, what, what made you cross over? You know, obviously you're around 15, mate, you must have pulled off away from something at that stage. Right. Um, what inspired you to get into triathlon? Well, you want me to say that I saw something on TV and this and that, that happened? I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. What happened was, and I'm going to be brutally honest with you, I was swimming. I had just won. Uh, I hadn't won anything. To I was third at the, um, the national championships for the 400. I was involved with a girl in my swim squad. She broke up with me. I was absolutely <laughs> devastated. I said, that's it. I'm done. I'm not doing swimming anymore. It's it, was over. That, it was done. I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't stand going to the pool with her anymore. I was like, that, I I I that's it. And, and you wanted me to say, oh, you know, I just got, I did get kind of fed up of swimming, but I got more, I was more like, I was so upset with this whole, it was like my first night. You were so emotional. I, like, oh, I, can't. I can't, I was emotional, but that's how I am. That's, you know, I, I raced with passion and I was still passionate then. So I'm, like, I'm not doing it anymore. 
But then my friend said, you know what? That's silly. Why don't you come down the, down the club, Thames Turbo, which is now a very, very big club in England. Uh, and he said, try this. Try this. Um, and, then, you know, Pete Moisey. Do you remember Pete Moisey? He was a, he, 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 I think he lives in New Zealand now. I'm not sure where he lives. But he was the founder of Thames Turbo. And he said, you know, come and do this. Come and try this triathlon. You know, he knew what I'd done. He knew my swimming background. He knew I hadn't biked or ran. But, you know, it just led on from there. And then it, it just, it just you know, snowballed. And what was the setup back then? Like, um, we, we hear the Brownlee brothers, you know, they've come through this fantastic yeah. system, which is a, a numbers game. The cream rises to the top. Were you, were you pretty much sort of um, the club there, but was it was a lot of it uh, on, solo? You're on your own. Yeah, you're on your own. I mean, there, there was definitely, I mean, there was the BTF or the BTA as it was at the time that they were about, but obviously they didn't have the backing or the, or the, or the kind of sponsors or, or the funding that they have now. So you kind of were on your own, but, you know, it, it didn't really matter because I just loved it so much and I had such passion for it that I was just happy to be out there um, having, having a go and, you know, using all my swimming for all the years that I was doing that, and uh, it was it was a, it was great, you know. I, I loved it, and still love it. Don't get me wrong. Did, did it give you fresh legs? Like you know, you've been swimming from such a young age, and you're obviously mm. pretty high level. And as you're saying, I know you kind of pulled up because of the gill, but you know, you, yeah. you can get a bit stale in sport after a period of time. Did mm. it kind of refire that mojo in you? Absolutely. I mean, like I said, I mean, obviously the girlfriend was a, you know, um, but the great thing is I, I, she's on Facebook now and she says to me, oh, I shouldn't have let you go. So I feel better now. I, I feel better now. You know, it's, it's good for the ego. But, um, um, but what was I gonna, uh, what's the question? I've forgotten the question. <laughs> You're too busy thinking about the check. <laughs> Just how it gave you your mojo. See what women do to you. I can't even think now. Um, no, no. I mean, I definitely... Um, I definitely did lose, you know, once I got the third in, in, in the 400 meters and it was a big year. And then I had to realize, you know what, I've got to do this all again in the following year. And I think I just I did lose a bit of fire, to be honest with you. I did lose a bit of passion for it. And um, and perhaps that was just an easy get out for me. You know, it was a soft way of saying, you know what, I've had enough. Yeah, I guess in those those early years, as you said, there wasn't the support structures in place. But but I know mm. when I I sort of read a lot about you and, and saw a lot about you when I was sort of coming through the ranks. Um, yeah. your, your dad was always was always there for you, and he was often fairly boisterous on the on the sidelines. Um, so tell us a bit about that relationship you had with your dad and and how influential he was on your career. Well, I really it's it's hard to to sum up really because without my dad, it, it, I, I just. It just wouldn't have happened. I mean, maybe I would have won big races. Maybe I wouldn't have. Um, but without my dad, I mean, my dad, you know, he was, people say, oh, he's your manager, this and that. But uh, above all, he was my dad. And he didn't care about, you know, anything about apart from my well-being. And, and at the end of the day, he just wanted the best for his son. And he, he, he was so dedicated to me and, 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 you know, I was so, so lucky that I had someone that was, yeah, he was boisterous. This, he was a big, big character, big character. And you know what? That's the problem. I don't think there's as many big characters in the sport as there once were. And that's kind of sad. But, you know, going off track, going back onto that, I, I just think that without his help and, uh, you know, when he passed away, he, he, you know, for people who don't know, he passed away. I just won the European championships in, uh, in, um, in Finland, in fact, it was uh, uh, the first drafting European Championships, and and I won. Um, I was living in Spain, and we got back to Spain, and then he said, "I don't feel that well." And I said, "Really?" He said, "I think I got the flu or something." And then as the week progressed, he got gradually, gradually worse, and then he wasn't even interested in what I was saying or what I was going to do. 
and we knew, and I knew at that point that something was was not quite right. Of course, I didn't know that he had a tumor. Um, and then when he got rushed to hospital, um, they they said, "Well, out of five, he's got a size four of a tumor." Yeah. And, and you know, it, it was a very, very. I mean, you know, to be honest, I don't think I've ever recovered. Uh, yeah. Do you ever recover losing your dad? I, I don't. Every single day, I think of my dad. Um, every single day, and that's no word of a lie. Absolutely, was. You know, I'm still lucky. I have my mum. And, you know, we're, we're, we've, we've got a fantastic family um, in that sense. But, you know, it was a very, very harsh blow. And, um, uh, you know, the, my whole world had been turned upside down. It was a very, very tough time. I didn't have to do anything. All I had to do was get on the start line and race. That's all I had to do. He did everything else for me. Really? So when that, when that was gone... When that was gone, it was very, very difficult for me, you know, to, to not have that, you know, to get up in the morning, I'm doing everything myself, which, you know, people say, well, we do, when you're not used to that, it's a very, very difficult thing to, to do. Um, I was very, very fortunate that I had my, my dad and, um, you know, what I, I it, it, to this day, it, it's something that I never forget, of course. I imagine, you know, you talk about how when he was left from your life, you kind of had all these responsibilities you maybe didn't realize he brought to your life. What about emotionally? Well, that's the thing is, I mean, you know, when you're racing, um, when you're racing and you, and you, you can ping off people, you know, my dad was, was kind of someone to lean on, as it were, when I was racing. And I didn't have that anyone else. Uh, you know, I was married at the time, but, you know, my dad, I could speak to him about, you know, the race and we could just have a laugh. And, and he used to take the pressure off me. And that was so, so important. And when that big... Um, you know, that kind of, that he, he was a giant, in fact, you know, in my life has gone, I, I felt kind of lonely. I felt mm. lonely and I felt very, very, you know, I felt insecure in a fact. I, I, you know, the confidence had gone a bit and, and you know, I, I still won races, don't get me wrong, but did I still have the passion? I don't know if I still had the passion that I used to have when he was, when he was there. I, I, I don't think I did. I don't think I ever re I mean, I still love it. Don't get me wrong, but I, I don't think I could ever have that kind of, it, it was just a different feel after that. It was different feel. You know, I won races for my dad and, you know, I won every single race for my dad. And, and that's when I crossed the line, all I wanted to do was see my dad. Wow. No, oh, if if we rewind back to the times when when he was was with you, and um, yeah. you know the first time I um, heard your name mentioned was uh, was 1992, because right. uh, Cameron Brown finished second to you at the World Champs in Muskoka and the Juniors, and sure. uh, and, you, and you know you went on really well from from there. So, you know. Um, Back, back then, did you sort of that, that, that first year in the juniors? I, I looked back for the couple of years before that, and I, I didn't see your name in the results. Was that really just straight away a breakthrough race? Had you been on the no. scene much more f f for a while at that stage? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, to be honest with you, I should have, should have, could have, would have. I didn't. Uh, the year before, it was in the Gold Coast. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I was pretty damn confident I was going to win that race. Um, but I made some silly mistakes and I'm not going to, you know, I had a massage the day before it was a heavy massage. You know, I, I did the course a million times. I think I overprepared. I overdid it. And, um, I ended up, uh, uh, way down. I mean, absolutely mm. horrible day. And that was probably one of the hardest races for me to, because that was one of the hard races. I think, you know what, for, uh, up until that point I'd won, I think I'd won European men's titles, you know, mm. and I hadn't won a world junior title. Mm. People were saying, well, why, why, don't worry about that. Just go straight into the men's, you know, the world championships. You've done, you've proven yourself. I said, you know what? 
I think this is unfinished business for me. Mm. I think I need to go back. I need to win this World Junior title. And to this day, it's still one of the big titles that I hold close to my heart because I didn't get it straight away. You know, the World Men's, I got straight away. It mm. was not easy, of course, but I'm, I got it straight away. The first year I did it, I won. The second year I did it, I won. You know, so for me, it wasn't a fact that it, it, it was something that I didn't crack straight away. And it, and it became something that, that became like a bit of an obsession. Um, and, and I could have gone to Muskoka and raced in the men's. And, you know, I got some stick from some people saying, well, you shouldn't be doing the juniors because you've been racing against the men. And I'm like, well, what, what was that's my fault? You know, it's not my <laughs> fault that I'm, I'm my age and I've won men's races. So what? What do you want me to do? I'm still entitled to win this race. I'm young enough. And I'm going to do it. Um, so at the end of the day, it was a, a big, big relief uh, to win, to do unf- to, to finish, you know, unfinished business, and to come with the, come away with the victory. And I was so happy with that. And my dad as well, you know, that was a that was a big, big race for me. But one one other thing then that people perhaps um, don't realise now is back in those days, juniors was um, under nineteen. It wasn't or under twenty. Sorry, under it wasn't 20, un- wasn't under twenty three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, under twenty three. That's that's. Pr- I mean. To be called a junior, I suppose under 23 to me seems really old. I mean, you know, yeah. under 23, I mean, I was winning, I'd won all my, I'd won big titles by then, you mm. know, so, so I'm not thinking under 23, you're a junior anymore. <laughs> yeah. I'm under 20, I'm thinking, yeah, 19, 20, you know what, you're still there or thereabouts. When you're getting into the 20, you know, the 22, 23, I'm not thinking you as a junior anymore. I'm thinking as you're a young man, not mm. a junior. Mm. So for me, it's very strange to hear, you know, uh, uh, under 23 is still classified. I, I don't think, do they classify as junior or is it still just well, under 23? Under 23 now? and then you've got your under, yeah. under 19s as the, the proper juniors, so, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think I think so. It's fair to say that under 9, I, I think when I was a junior, that could be considered a junior. So, um, yeah. but you know, I was racing, I was racing men um, when I was 18, 19 years of age because I didn't know any better. You know, I just entered the race and it was a game on. You know, um, I just remember my first one of my first races I did, big races in Lanzarote. And I was there with my dad and Robin Brew was a great swimmer at the time. You know, him and um, Rick Wells, Ricky Wells, they were great swimmers. And and my dad said, do not leave his sight. Do not leave Robin Brew's sight. And I remember, I don't know, he he literally, I I stuck to him like glue. And after the race, he says, what were you doing in that swim? Because I was so close to him, he couldn't even swim the guy. At one stage, he had to push me away because I was so attached to him, because I was scared of losing him, because I didn't know what I was doing. So my dad said, look, Robin Brew, great swimmer, just stick to him. You can't go wrong. And and you know what? It, I didn't go wrong, but he, I got out of the water and he looked at me and he was like, oh, the hell is this guy? He's driving me crazy. <laughs> and uh, and then he obviously rode away from me and ran. But uh, it was a great hard first race, you know, hard proper, proper first race when I went abroad. And it was a tough, tough race. You know, Lanzarote is not a, not a, not a place for, 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 for weak people. It was a tough boys race. And um, I really enjoyed it, though. It's, it was a tough, tough day. In, in those early years, I mean, again, um, one of the stories I remember hearing was from uh, Matt Brick, and uh, I'm not sure if it was the World Duathlon Champs he was talking about or, or just a, a major duathlon that was somewhere in Europe. And, and he, at the time, he was, I think, the, the, you know, the two or three-time yeah. world champion, and um, he yeah. rocked up at a race, and people were talking up, and he saw, saw this guy who had these gigantic quads and thought, well, he can't, how, the, how the hell can he run? And then I think he proceeded to, to crush them all. Back then, did, did, you, did you race a bit of everything? I mean... Um, 
because there was a lot more variety back then. I did, you know. I, what I, the way I used to do it was, um, I used to race the duathlon because there wasn't quite as many uh, triathlons earlier on in the year. There wasn't the seventy point threes and all this craziness. I always used to try to prepare early on, uh, early on in the year with duathlons. You know, in February and March time, you know, just to sharpen the the claws a little bit, and then come April, I would go across to. Um, to, to start doing the triathlons but um you know and once again uh, don't get me wrong if someone come i said i come across to my dad and said you know what we're going to give you x amount of dollars do you want to come and do this race and my dad would say yeah well we'll think about it but you know more often than not um i would go and do a race that 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 was more of a duathlon over a triathlon you know because it was i was doing it i was doing it you know as a profession so i had to be smart sometimes mm. what kind of support did you get from the federations back then you know like it's, it's, the sport's still pretty new the olympics went around at this stage was there any support from the federations um there was very little i mean to be honest with you you know what they gave what they had they gave what they had and you know the bta not now called the btf um they were good you know when we went away um they tried to support us i.e they would try to give us a a stipend for our 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 um, our our travel and accommodation um so they did what they could they definitely were 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 they definitely didn't just leave us hanging. Mm. So they did what they could, and it was it, it was you know it, it was nice that they could try to, to. And they were lucky that they had great great athletes. You know they were they were very fortunate. They had great athletes around at that time. Simon, of course. So they they, they got away with murder in a sense because <laughs> they, they 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 had champions. Yeah. yeah, they had champions, and they didn't really have to pay much for it. So 1993, you know, we talked about 92, the, the, the World Junior Champs. 93, we, we moved on to, to Manchester, and, uh, and you had a fantastic race there. You swam and, um, swam and biked away from, from Hamish Carter, and, uh, and Simon Lessing was sure. then sort of uh, came through the field a bit on the run, but was not, not able to, to run you down. Um, mm. how, how big a deal was that for you at the time, obviously being on home soil? Well, it's huge. I mean, you know, I mean, kind of home soil, Manchester. I'm, I'm a London boy, so anything past, anything past Watford, but I kind of get worried a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> no, but it was good. I mean, obviously, you can't when you have your mum, your nan, your 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 dad, your uh, coach, all at the finish line, uh, looking at you as you're crossing the line. It's a moment that you never forget. Uh, it's a moment you're always going to cherish, and um, um, of course. Uh, the, the, the funny thing was, the previous week I'd raced Simon in a race in Finland, and 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 he and, and he and he kicked me. He kicked my ass badly. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't uh, going into the race. Obviously, when you get beat six days before, you're not going to have the biggest confidence. But you know what? Um, it just it, it was one of those days where I couldn't hurt myself enough. The legs didn't the legs didn't feel any build up, and I was just flying. And um, it was a tough course, and it was a course that suited me. You know, it was windy, it was uh, it was open, and it just opened up for me so nicely. And you know, I just took took the took the race by the scruff of the neck and said, I looked around, no one was around. I just pushed on, and um, and, and you know, the rest was obviously was history. But uh, it was a race that obviously I remember to this day, and it was a super super feeling, of course. At what point, you know, getting off the bike, obviously you had a pretty good lead. Did you know you headed at that stage? Um, I was scared. I was scared always because you know what? Simon was such a great runner and I don't recall ever getting off the bike with him and uh, running away from him or hit, or me actually ever beating him on a run. 
So to say that I was running scared would be an understatement. Um, so I just ran for my life. And in fact, I think I had one of the, I, I don't know if I outran him, but I was very, it was within seconds. So uh, it was just a day that it was just my day. And, you know, you don't get many of those days um, in your lifetime. I was just very, very fortunate that, that one of those days was at a world championships. And, um, but to say that I was confident was, would, would not be true. Did, did that change things for you? You know, you obviously, you, you know, won a junior title. You're obviously a pretty successful athlete by this stage. Mm. You know, winning a world title in, in a lot of sports would mean a lot more opportunity, you know, maybe more income. You know, did, did sure. that actually change your world? Oh, I think it changed a lot. I think what it did, it, it gave me a lot more confidence and it gave my dad, um, you know, he could go out there. He, he wouldn't, he would call up anyone. He didn't care who he called up. He'd say, he would call up the president if he thought that he, there would be a bit of money about And he would say, <laughs> you know what? But, but the great thing about it was, you know, he wasn't trying to sell me as just, he was my, you know, he was, he looked, he had so much passion and it came across that way that people just said, you know what? What a fantastic team. We can't not be involved with this. We mm. cannot be involved with a team like this. We want to be on board because it is a father and son situation. It's not just the agent calling up trying to get a bit of money for the, their athlete and then they're going to call up, oh, oh, we haven't got the athlete, but we've got this athlete you might be interested in. No, it wasn't anything like that. It was about him calling up saying, look, my son is this damn good. Do you want to give him some money or what? You know, And, and, and that's as simple as that. It wasn't complicated. A deal was a deal, and then it just went on from there. But, of course, you know, it gave me a lot more leverage um, in terms of calling up um, sponsors or companies. And, and, you know, he called up companies that no one even thought about. You know, for example, we called up Ray-Ban, and everyone was with Oakley at the time. He called Ray-Ban up. He said, you know what? They can only say no, Smudge. He called me Smudge. <laughs> he said, they can, only say, they can only say no. But did they say no? Of course they didn't. They, they, they signed a three-year deal with them where people were worried about just getting Oakleys. I was getting some, so I was getting, you know, some good cash. Yeah. Mm, so it was, it was, of course, a, a big, big boost for me. What about the way you saw yourself? You know, like, you know, there is a confidence of winning a race like that. Did that change your own self-perception about yourself as an athlete? Um... I think, I think, you know, whenever you win a big title, whenever you win big titles, I think it gives you a big boost uh, to know, you know, I can do this. I can do this. And confidence breeds confidence. There's nothing like having confidence. And, you know, from there, even if you're not having a great day, you know what? You can always say, you know what? I'm a champion. And I, didn't, and I need to show that I'm a champion. And I think great champions show their show their, I suppose, their character when they're not on a good day. Mm-hmm. And and many times I was not on a good day and still managed to pull a win out or or, or or be very close to a win and and I think that's what it does to you. It gives you that confidence that no other that no other race can do. Mm. And one one year later, you know, you you, you pulled off a, a similarish performance in Wellington. You know, right. I, I was there watching you. You crushed. I, I don't actually recall exactly where you came out of the swim, but the main thing mm. I remember is uh, mm. it was very much a changing moment for the sport because I was standing there watching you mm. come in off the bike you came in, you had this gigantic lead and then I thought right, who's going to come in next, who's going to come in next those days we didn't have the updates to, to know what was yeah. happening out there and next thing the peloton arrives of like yeah. 30 or 40 guys and, and it really was a changing of the sport you went on and, and, and from memory you probably may well have had the, one of the fastest run splits of the day, they didn't really eat any time out of you and won another world title, I mean Maybe talk us through that race and then um, the introduction of drafting after that because it was pretty evident that to, to run non-drafting races was going to mm. become very, very difficult. 
Right. I mean, well, other than that, going back that year, um, like I said, I'd won the Worlds in 93. And, 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 and then I started to, I think I became a little bit lazy. I came a little bit too confident. And, 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 and that year I moved from England to San Diego. Um, and I think I just got... I just got carried away in the whole San Diego thing. It was long distance was the way to go. And, you know, I was training with Kenny Souza. I was training with Paula. I was training with Paul Huddle. Yeah. I was training with all these legends that I, 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 I read about in the magazine. I saw Mark Allen, you know, I was like, I'm in the, I'm in the middle of it here. And, and I was lapping it up. And I, every ride there was, oh, I'll go on this ride. I'll go and do this. But it wasn't, I was doing their training instead of doing my training. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was, I became very strong, but I became very slow. Mm, not slow, slow, but I didn't have that pickup. I didn't have that kind of speed that I, I, I should have. So as that year progressed, you know, I, I started the year in April and I got a beating. I got a lot. I got, and I was trying to do two kind of things. I was trying to race in Europe because I had European sponsors and I was living in America. So I was trying to fly back and forth and I was all over the place. And I think it was a very, very, and my dad and I just looked at each other and said, what are we doing? What are we doing? We've got to, we've got to go back to the roots. You know, what made us, what made you the world champion last year? What training made you the world champion? And we looked at it and Bill Black was obviously my coach. He was a big, big influence. You know, it wasn't just my dad and I. Bill Black was obviously, and he said, you've got to stop this because otherwise I'm out. I'm done. I'm not coaching you anymore. Uh, If you think you're going to keep flying across the, you know, across the Atlantic every now, you know, every, every two weeks to do these different races. And so I sat down and I think it was. What, what, what happened was I decided to do some smaller races to get my confidence back. Once again, the confidence had gone. Confidence has gone because I wasn't winning any races anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was pulling out of a lot of races and I was a world champion and it felt like the curse of like, you know, the cycling world champion where you have, where you win the world championships <laughs> and then suddenly the year after you are absolutely horrible. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, perhaps that, that was playing on my mind a bit. It was like, well, what can we do to make this right? So I changed my, um, I, I stayed in San Diego. I prepared very nicely um, as I always used to. And, and, and I did smaller races. I got my confidence back. And I went to New Zealand. The race was in November. So I was lucky because the whole year, the whole year um, was, was, was disastrous. Apart from one race, one race prior to that, it was actually that the ITU were already switching over to doing some non-drafting races or to doing some drafting races. And it was in Cancun. And I had a nice race. It was, I got off the bike well. It was Brad and I. Brad Bevan and I, we were jostling for the win. He out-sprinted me on, on the run. Well, he didn't out-sprint me. He ran away from me, I think, with a K to go or whatever. But um, So that gave me a boost. That gave me a boost. I then went back to San Diego. I, tr- tr- I prepared for another four or five weeks. I went into the World Championships. Again, a little, a little scared. You know, I mean, if you just get one second place the whole year and nothing much else... You're, no one was actually talking about me winning this race. <clears throat> so to go there and, and, and to, to, to come out in the water, I came out in the water, I think. I came out, you know, I think, like you said, third or fourth or whatever it was. I got on the bike, and once again, it was a hard day. Very, <clears throat> very windy, great course for me. Um, and I just rode away. It was, once, it was once again one of those days where the legs couldn't be pushed hard enough. The, the, you know, Bill prepared me superbly. Um, I was tapered, I was rested. And I just rode away from everyone. But you're right. I, I turned. It was a, there was one part of the course where it was a it was a dual carriageway. Yeah. And I was coming back into transition. And I think I saw the lights the other side of the dual yeah. carriageway. You know, the motorcycle headlights. 
And I saw probably 30 or 40 guys together. And I'm like, this is going to be a, this is going to be a tough, but I was again, scared. I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? You want me to wait for them? No, I've got to crack on. And you know what? I'm just going to, if I get beaten, you know what? I've won the, I've still in my mind, I've won this race and everyone's going to see that, that no one is going to take this race away from me. But it, it, you know, luckily enough, I had enough, I had enough power and I had enough passion and enough heart to get go ahead and, and win the race i don't know what my rum split was in in the comparison of all the runners coming I, i'm sure it wasn't as fast because there's no way that you can run as fast when you've got guys sitting in for 40 kilometers it's just not going to happen but um but i was again running scared and, and i had such adrenaline i was just flowing and uh, i couldn't I, I i just couldn't you know i just couldn't feel anything no pain and that's that was the best and i had such emotion on the run i remember you know shouting out you know and, and he just cheering in the middle of the run i had that much uh, that much power, passion and uh, it, it showed you know and that's the way i raced you know i raced with a lot of passion a lot of heart i didn't always race with my head but um that's just the way i was and, when and, I was younger. and that was very much, as you said, the bunch came in, and, and, and that course in Wellington, yeah, it wasn't ridiculously hard, but it was pretty windy. It was a pretty fair course, and, the, and you mm. weren't, they weren't able to break the group up. And the next sure. year we saw um, the world champs in Cancun, the first ever drafting world champs. So that process um, that, they went, that the ITU went through, was, was there mm. much consultation with the athletes? Did you, did you see it coming, um, and how did it sort of evolve? Uh, I, I think obviously that people saw it coming. I mean, Simon was always going to say, "Well, whew. I think it's." I think he, he did to his. He, he. I think he was pretty happy. Uh, uh, although in, in saying that, Simon on his day could hold his own in any race. Mm. So it wasn't as if he needed the drafting. But if they're going to give it to him on a play, <laughs> he's going to take it. So I think what it was is they just purely couldn't control the drafting enough where they could say, okay, this guy won the race, but he didn't really win the race. I think that it was too confusing, and I think that they wanted it to be more like a closed circuit kind of a deal where it, it, it was a bit more exciting. And I don't know. I mean, I didn't. I, I, I still to this day think non-drafting races can be won fairly. Um, I, I really do, and with you know certain races it happens, and certain races it doesn't. But um, it, it, it really just happened from at ninety four to ninety five happening. You know, it, I, I refused to race in Cancun. I refused mm-hmm. to race um, because I, I, I was disgusted. But, the, but you know, <clears throat> the year before in, in, in Wellington, you kind of saw the writing on the wall. Mm. As much as you were gutted, did you understand, like, like looking back now, can you understand why they did it, or do you still feel it was a mistake? I can understand why they did it. Like I said, I mean, when you've got guys being pulled over that are drafting, it's a very, very, it's a very subjective call. It's mm. a very, very subjective call. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I still feel there's ways around it. You know, I still feel people can win races, with non-draft, you know, I, I still feel people can win Olympic distance races without the drafting. I mean, you look at High V this year. I don't think there was a there was the great field there. There wasn't a ton of drafting on that field, and the, and the, and and the, and the guy who won Greg won the won the race fair and square. Mm. Um, so at the end of the day, I still believe there is a there is a way to win or to do races that don't that, that don't have to have the drafting. You know, why not have the? You can have the the both you know and and then i'm not taking anything away from from how it is now i mean obviously the brownlee brothers are 
absolutely amazing. I mean, and to be honest with you, I, they, they would be. I think they would still be world champions without the drafting. You know, without with, with the draft. You know, they they yeah. they they would still be very very difficult to beat. And you know why they're tough? Because they're tough boys, and they stay swim, bike, and run. They know they can hurt themselves on the bike, and they can hurt. Obviously, they can run very very fast, and they swim. You know, uh, you know, uh, it's it's amazing to watch them. But I still believe that they are all round athletes, and that's that's great to see. And and that's been a while for that coming. That's why I think they're so dominant because no one can look at them. Well, we can kind of attack them on the bike because they're not that strong. They're just gonna. They are strong. They're strong all round athletes, and it's fantastic to see. When you were sort of going through that process of the drafting coming in in the <clears throat> the mid to late nineties, and then mm. obviously the Olympics got um, got pulled into the frame. Did that ever, um, was that a big enough lure to get you back into the non-drafting, uh, into the, the drafting side of things and really try to make it an event mm. of your own and, or, or had, had the, the ship sailed, so to speak? You know what, I probably, in hindsight, pro- I probably could have gone back and I did try to, to do the non-drafting. You know, I did try to go, I did go to world championships in Edmonton uh, for non, uh, for, for, for the, 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 for the drafting race um but in saying that i was I, I think after winning world championships young i wanted another a challenge i think the challenge of of winning world titles was great but there didn't i wanted more you know and i thought iron man or winning hawaii was the way to go and 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 you know no one could talk me out of it you know when you're 23 24 you know you you know it all or or you think you yeah. know it you know, no one's going to, and you know, you're top of the world. And you know, when you go to races, everyone's looking at you and saying, you know, there's the world champion. You think, you know, what I'm doing is no, how can anyone be telling me different that they don't know what they're talking about? I know what I'm talking about, which is obviously not correct. There's no doubt that that's not the way to go. I mean, you know, in hindsight, should I, 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 did I start Ironman too young at 25? Absolutely. But people told me that, but would I be told? No, I wouldn't be told. No, I wouldn't be told. Even my dad, you know, even my dad um, was like, you know what? I don't even want you doing Ironman because it looks too painful and it looks way too hard. He says, and he said to this day, and I remember him very clearly, if I see you in one spot of trouble out there on that course, I am going to drag you off that course in Hawaii. (laughs) He was not into me doing the Ironman one little bit because he knew how much it takes out of you literally drags every piece of emotion and he just hated to see me i mean he liked to see me obviously he knew he knew i was hurting but he didn't like to see me suffer to that degree so he he really wasn't that happy for me to switch over he was he was like no carry on with the short distance but once he passed away you know obviously the, the, the the coast was clear and there was no one whispering in my ear no, you're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. Before, and, that and, then, and then it went on. Before we move into the, the you know, the, when you move into Ironman, just talk to, talk to us a little about the competitors you raced against in, you know, the ITU world. Who were some mm. of the competitors you respected the most and feared the most and, you know, and some of the stories you have around that stuff? I think, I think obviously, obviously Simon Lessing was the main man. Uh, you know, he doesn't win as many world titles of what he won. He's, he is, you know, he is another, well, he is a legend, an absolute legend. And I would put him up there. Okay, he didn't win Hawaii, but he was probably looking at short distance racing. He was the king. I mean, you know, I won world titles. I won short distance. But whenever I raced him, I was scared. I, ha- I was scared to race this guy because he was, he was, he was so tough. 
he was there wasn't really a you know he in his earlier days okay there may have been a weakness on the bike but then he came strong on the bike and then there suddenly wasn't a weakness um and it became very very difficult for me to be able to beat this chap and i was you know uh, was there much, was there much love lost between us no but <laughs> get me up in the morning absolutely not morning and you know what i think that's what the, we did we love each other weren't we weren't hugging each other after the race we weren't high-fiving each other it was like the dave scott mark allen thing you know what i respected him but would i want to beat him every single absolutely um would i want to go out and drink him with him probably not uh, now it's different you know of course it's changed now but um at the time i i wasn't like that i wasn't oh we can all be friends after the race no if i got beat i was sulking i was gutted and um and, and the same with him and the same with him if i when i beat him in manchester um i'm sure that did not go down very well at all you know because you know when you've beaten me the week before like i said you're pretty confident going into the next race the next weekend um but um, I, I know that got him out of bed in the morning and that motivated him. Um, and we were two of the biggest guys in the sport. You know, when we went head to head, it was written about. It wasn't like, oh, there's a race this weekend. No, this is the clash of the week. You know, wherever it was in France, in um, Australia, you know, wherever it was, it was a big, big deal. And, and it definitely was um, something that ver- very much a big motivating factor of my career. What about the, the outward sort of spencer smith you tried to portray maybe when you're going up against him because he was the kind of character that uh, arrogance isn't the right i don't know if arrogance is the right word but when you saw no, him is, rocking up at a race you you thought he just he just looks like he's so confident he's just gonna he just mm-hmm. he knows he's gonna crush everybody and he, and he exuded exuded yeah. that sort of confidence is that something you consciously worked on yourself um you can say he was arrogant of course he was arrogant yeah he was arrogant he was south african and he was really arrogant yeah he was and people, the thing about him was and we were completely different personalities i was not i wasn't say i was humble but they 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 um labeled me in england as the people's champion i i anyone came up to me i would talk to them and i didn't come across you would never know that i'd won this or i'd done this or i can do this where Simon would probably let you know, well, you're not probably doing this right, and I've done this, so you probably should not be doing it like that. So there was a difference in the way we acted around people and the way, you know, the, uh, the personalities. But like you said, his personality was so, so strong, so powerful, that people, a lot of people, um, sometimes myself included, already on the line were questioning themselves already doubting themselves that they're not going to beat this guy because he is well, he's the real deal and he was the real deal but the way he portrayed himself and the, and the way his you know his persona was it was very very tough to there was no chinks in his armor there was no chinks in his armor and that was a tough thing to to, to deal with for sure were, were there other athletes who you respected as well well i think there, there were many athletes i respected i mean obviously growing up my idol was mark allen um, because, you know, I, I remember at the time, like I said, there wasn't the internet that there was now. And so when Hawaii came around, um, I remember one year, I can't remember what year it was now. I, it, Hawaii, obviously, I was living in England at the time. I was very, very young. I got up, I rushed up, and, and, and there was a small bit in the Daily Mail. And it, it gave the wrong result. for. Some, I think what they did is 
they finished the swim, but then they, they, they printed the result of the swim because they obviously ran out of time. So I saw Wolfgang Dietrich won of the Hawaiian Ironman. And I was like, what? I was like, this is not possible. This is impossible that Wolfgang Dietrich, you know, don't get me wrong. Wolfgang, I love the way he raced. He was, you know, he raced from the heart and he just got out there and he knew. But I was absolutely flabbergasted. I remember to this day, I, 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 it was, a, it was, a, it was like shocking to me. And then the next day, I looked at the paper again, and then I saw Mark Allen. And I'm like, oh, my world has been, you know, centered again. <laughs> so it, it was, it was a funny time. But of course, Mark Allen. If you know, I think you had to choose between the Mark Allen and Dave Scott thing at the time. And I was a Mark Allen fan, even though he really didn't. I wanted to be so much like Mark Allen that I, I got his outfits. You know, I got the black Nike outfit. I got them. I remember the first race I did, that one in Lanzarote that I was talking to you about, about Robin Brew. Yeah. And I got these these Nike slippers. You know, they didn't really have any laces. They were just slippers. Um, and I had such bad blisters because, you know, Lanzarote went 5K up and 5K down. I had to pretty much sleep that night after the race in my, with my feet in the swimming pool because I had that many blisters. But it didn't matter because Mark Allen was using <laughs> these shoes. You know what I'm saying? So, and then obviously um, Avignon. I mean, I, I remember I had a book in Avignon where he won the world championships. I think yeah. Miles Stewart and Rick, you know, Rick I think Wells, Miles yeah. was second and Glenn Cook was third. Yeah. You know, these were my heroes. I mean, Miles Stewart was, I was like looking at Miles Stewart thinking, I want to be Mark Miles Stewart because he was young. And, you know, he was brash. You yeah. know, he was really brash at the time. But that, that was kind of what the, the kind of stuff that I loved. Um, and, and I think they were big, big characters. You know, Miles was a big character. Um, uh, Mark was kind of a, a deep character. Like, you didn't really know what he was. He was very secretive and very, very, you know, very insular. It was a great, it was a super time. And um, it was just stuff that got me out of bed in the morning, you know, when it's freezing cold in England. That was the stuff that kept me motivated, and uh, it, it was a, it was a great time in the sport. Um, it was it was super. I'm gonna have to get Miles Stewart on the show on time. Get, yeah, get yeah, it. Yes, got to, got to. I mean, yeah. you know, another another legend, another true. You know, when he was on, when he was bad, he was awful. Yeah. But 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 when he was good, he was very good. He was a big time big time racer, wasn't he? Big big stage world champs. He seemed to it. perform every time at world champs. He he loved it. You know what? He could be. You know, he it was kind of funny because you know he was always a little bit overweight in certain top parts of the year. He always suffered a lot with his weight. Um, but when it came time for a world championships, there were very very few. Um, world titles or world championships like you said where he didn't show his face yeah. and the, uh, you know and like i said the first time i saw you know the first time i saw him was obviously in um you know where he came to prominence were problem was in um right. avignon yeah avignon, and then obviously the gold coast yeah um so he was a big big he was like you said he raced on the stage in big races very very well and that's what it's about you know you get all these guys that can win small races at the bigger the day, at the end of the day, no, you know that's not about that. It's about winning big races at big times, you know. And he he was a big time racer. Mm. So, so when you did make the move, sort of to the longer distances, um, nineteen ninety six, you got um, third in the world long distance champs behind Greg Welsh and, and um, Van, Van Laird, um, which are you know mm. two of the the true legends of, of long distance racing, all distance racing. Um, yeah. You know, 
how, how did that transition go for you? Because we, we watch guys now, um, you know, recently we've had guys like Andy Potts who's come across yeah. and had, had fairly good instant success but, but has sort of failed to really kick on mm. and sort of get a title, similar to like um, R- Rasmus Henning, um, guys like that. How did that transition go for you? Was it pretty much instant sort of um, success or, or was it a pretty tough road? Well, I, I think um, when I first, well, Hawaii, I, I'd never done an Ironman before going into Hawaii. So that was my first ever Ironman, uh, my first ever marathon, my first ever everything. Previous to that, I'd probably only done two or three halves, uh, one being the the, ninth, the the world championships in Muncie, what you're talking about, mm. what you're referring to about. Um, so I had very, very little experience and it, I was scared. You know, I was scared because the distance was so foreign to me. Um, when you're going from doing an hour and 45 to an hour and 50 to doing four hours or three hours and 50 minutes or whatever it is, that's a big difference. And, you know, I was still, you've got to remember, I was still 23 at the time, mm-hmm. 22, 23, uh, maybe 24, I can't remember, you know, in some of the races. But um, I think I was 23 when that Muncie race occurred. And I was so green. I mean, you know, obviously my dad was there, but I had little, you know, I got off the bike with Luke. And you've got to remember, this was the year that Luke was on fire. Yeah. At, you know, this was the year that um, I was running with him. And I'm like, you know what? That was probably one of the most painful races of my life. Because, you know, I, he, had a, he had a bit more experience than I at the longer stuff. You know, because he'd raced in Belgium. He'd done some half distances as preparation. I, I didn't do any of that. I was just, I came straight from short distance, Olympic distance racing, to doing this world championships. And I was... Very, very green. I came out in the water, you know, top two or whatever I was. Me and him, head-to-head on the bike, big pack behind, big pack behind. And Greg will tell you, there was a pack. Let's not, let's not try to mm. pretend there wasn't. Um, but, but Luke and I were side-by-side. Side. There was none of this jostling. We were side-by-side, head-to-head. Um, I got off the bike, and it was just me and him, you know. And then, obviously, Greg caught both of us up. Um, but it was a very, very super tough day. I mean, I got to the finish line and I was like, I, 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 it was one of the hardest days of my life in racing wise, because I was, I don't know if I was unprepared because Bill prepared me well. I was just not, I just didn't know how to race it, um, because I was so out of my depth. So when you got off the bike, you know, you're obviously in a pretty good position at this Mm. stage. Did you think I'm in trouble here or do you think I've got a chance or we just not sure? I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. I mean, I'd beaten Luke in Olympic distance races off the bike running. So I thought, well, you know, I can run with this guy. But I I got off the bike and I was like, you know what? I'm, I've am i never felt like this before. I'm pretty tired. Uh, I'm okay. pretty tired. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I, I don't know if I was really tired or it's just a different tired to when you get off the bike in Olympic distance. Because mm. when you get off the bike in Olympic distance, I was really, like, really, really tired. Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through this at a certain pace. But when I got off the bike at Muncie, I was like, I am really, my legs are aching a little bit and I am not feeling that great. But you know what? Perhaps this is, my ignorance got me through because you know what? Ignorance is bliss. Perhaps mm. this is how everyone's feeling. Perhaps he's feeling like this. I don't know. You know what? So I'm just going to go with it. And um, and it was not an easy run either. I mean, it wasn't hilly by any stretch of the imagination, but it was rolling. It was rolling. So there wasn't any, uh, and it was a fairly hot day um, out there in the cornfields. So it was something that was definitely playing on my mind is was, you know what? I ran with him for about five or six miles or four or five. I can't remember, to be honest with you. And then Greg passed us and then, 
<clears throat> Luke went ahead, and then I think I had a big gag. You know, I think Cameron was right behind me uh, in fourth, and people were coming up fast, and I was dying fast. I was I was not happy one little bit. So I was happy when that when that um, finish line approached. So was that the double Olympic, or was that uh, the sort of the Nice distance, the 120k bike, uh, 30k it run? Was, it was a like a it was a 70.3 distance. Yeah, it was yeah. a double. Yeah. You know. So it, it, it definitely wasn't a Nice distance um, because I would have the wheels would have come off. That, when, I crossed that, when, when I crossed that line, I was I was I, I literally said to my dad, "I'm left." You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I literally was that that gone, and he saw that. And I think I don't know. I think that scared him a little bit because I was really I was really really tired after that race. He could see in my eyes. He he used to tell how tired I was by looking into my eyes in a day of training. He'd go, you know, give it a rest today. He just looked in my eyes. One look, no, don't do it today. And he looked in my into my eyes, and he'd know. I, I, that was a that was a day that I'd been battling hard, and um, it definitely wasn't a day that I, I would forget. You know, quickly. How did you make the transition to Ironman then? If, if that was that hard for a, yeah, but for why half? why was Ironman appealing? <laughs> you know, if you did that and then hello, um, you know, when I was li- hello, can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, we lost you for a second there. Yeah, start yeah, your answer again. Sorry, sorry. Yep. Yeah, you know, uh, growing up, like I said, I used to watch Mark Allen, Dave Scott. That was, and you know, I saw that race when Mark Allen, I think it was 89, when it was the head-to-head. They didn't yeah. like each other. There was some real animosity between them. You know, they're the whole thing of Dave holding up, you know, Dave's wife holding up the baby as, as they're, you know, running together. Like, this is for the baby and all this. I love that. <laughs> I absolutely love that. And I, could, I couldn't wait to get a piece of that. I wanted a piece of that action. And you know what? Um... That's what motivated me to want to go and do away because I just wanted to be like Mark Allen. I just wanted to be out in the lava fields, in some in a fight, in to be in a, in a, like a in a fight like that. They had nothing more appealing to me. Um, did I have second thoughts after doing the, the the half distance? Probably, but then it quickly fades, and then you go back to seeing you know what you know you know Hawaii talk, and you know I was living in the mecca of triathlon of San Diego, you know of of, of Ironman. So that quickly gets washed away, and I'm back on it again. You know, I want to be out there again, scrapping in the fields, in the lava fields, and um, and I think that's what the thing, what, what what really got me through was seeing these two giants, absolute giants, come out head to head all the way. And I don't think we've seen. I I can't remember another race that's been that fantastic, even in the present day, of two giants head to head running side by side from the moment they left the bike head to head that that was and and, and they didn't like each other they didn't mm. like each other and you know what mark would be running at a, a station and then dave would come along and there'd be water going everywhere and then no one would give each other water there wasn't any of this camaraderie stuff it was to the death and i like that i love that it was gladiator stuff and and i think now i think sometimes the sport's got a little soft I really think the sport's got a little soft. I'm I'm full for the sportsmanship, but when you're out there, it's game on. It's absolutely game on, and I love to. And that that's what something was was really exciting to me, and really appealing, really really appealing. And I think I got a. I was lucky that I had Simon to to you know to to, to like live my to live this dream by is to have this kind of like battle, like it was me and Simon. And I think I lived the Iron Man dream through mark and dave and uh, it, it it was something that was such a big motivator for me 
1998, you got fifth in Kona. Was that your first Kona, or did you have one prior to that? No, no, no. Only my first Ironman. Never done an either Ironman. Um, I remember my dad saying, well, if we're going to do this Ironman stuff, we want to get a good deal. So <laughs> he made sure that I got some good, a, a good deal um, before I signed up for any Ironman. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I, if I'm going to put myself on the start line, I'm going to want some good, some good start money. I'm going to want everything paid for. It's not. I'm not going to go there just because I love to do an Ironman. He said, you know what? If they're going to have this, if they're going to have you there, they're going to pay for you. And um, and so I, that was my first race yeah. in Hawaii. And when you were pleased with fifth on on, on debut, I think. Um, I think I was scared. Again, I was very, very scared. And, and, and I was being coached by Mick Gillingham at the time uh, and Paul. Uh, mm-hmm. Paul Huddle and Mick Gillingham. Mick, Mick's done a lot of work with Chris. I don't know mm. if you know that. You have met Mick before. Yeah. yeah as mad, as mad as you like. But he, had a, <laughs> yes. but he had a lot of passion, man. And you know what? That's what drives me. To have that passion, he was always on my side. He was always on my side. And um, he said, if I see you ever go to the front once during that, this bike ride, I will literally come out into the middle of the road and I will drag you off your bike. <laughs> he said, this, this is not the Olympic distance anymore where you're just suddenly going to go to the front and you're going to annihilate them. He says, you have to, and even Paul said, you have to respect this race. You have to respect this distance. So I actually went into it very, very scared, very, very scared. And, um, and, and I gave it a lot of respect. I, I did give it a lot of respect on the bike. Um, and I got off the bike and I was excited because I was right in the mix of it. And again, I started to run too fast. I got off the bike and I was like, why are people going so slow off the bike? I'm, I'm, I was like, I got up to second or third at one stage and I, I passed Luke and I'm like, what's he going so slow for? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I got onto the Queen K and I saw 13 miles gone and, and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Now I know what's happening here. Because suddenly I went from feeling very, very good to feeling very, very badly, very, very quickly. <laughs> and um, it was an interesting, it was a lesson learned. I managed to pull myself together between the stretch, between getting on a leaky drive until, um, until the start or midway through the um, energy lab. Yeah. I was having a horrible time, horrible time questioning myself like, what am I? I'm not going to finish. I'm done. I'm cooked. I'm absolutely out of it. And for what, I don't know what happened. I, I, I don't know what happened. I, I, I took some, some, some Coke on board. I came round, and I think, you know what, pumped in. I, you know what, it, it just, something turned around like, you know what, I don't feel that bad anymore. And the last 10K, I was flying again. And then it just, you know, the last 10K coming home was probably the best 10K of my life. You know, I'm up to fifth. Um, no one behind me. Um, and everyone, and even Dave Scott said, you know what, he's not going to do very well. He's not going to do very well. Uh, go leading into it. He's good at Olympic distance, but this is a different. This is different scenario. I think he'll be lucky if he finishes. I don't know what he said. Top twenty, maybe top thirty. And I was like, okay, Dave, we'll see. Mm, <laughs> you know what? That's fine. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. But um, so obviously, coming fifth was 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 one of the biggest. Obviously, I was very very sad because my dad wasn't there to see it. Um, and I felt, you know, I crossed the line. My mum obviously was there, and I had a lot of, you know, I had a lot of fans there a lot of family but it, it felt weird because you know this was the first major major race where i didn't have my my dad at the finish line and uh. it, 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 it felt at that point like yeah i don't know i felt empty i felt empty i had it all i'd done a fantastic race but it, it didn't feel the same it never felt the same again 
Well, obviously it didn't feel the same um, when you finished that race, but in the months, mm. I guess, after that race is when you right. were, totally got turned upside down. Um, and there was the, the drug case um, that, that's, uh, you know, the thing is we, we never know what goes on behind the scenes and how this all sort of pans out. So mm. can you sort of talk us through what what happened um, and, and how, how these things sort of do, do, do pan out? Because for the amateur athletes, they don't understand how drug testing works. And, and we, you know, tell us your side of the story. Absolutely. I mean, there's no story to be had. I mean, I, um, it's part of my history. I'm not, I'm not, I never hide it. I never say, if someone says to me, this is what occurred, I'm like, yeah, this is what occurred. Um, leading up to the, uh, up to the Ironman, um, I, 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 I did a blood test and I, and I found that I was very, very anemic. Uh, Paul, um, Paul Huddle said, you know, we've got to get some B12 in you, some B12 shots, so I took some B12 shots, um, and I ate a lot of beef, I ate a lot of meat, and it sounds, you know, very reminiscent of the Contador thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's going on right now. Um, and so I, I didn't think anything more of it. Um, I, I, took my, I took another blood test, uh, I think 10 or 12 days before, and my iron levels were restored to a very, very healthy level. Uh, after the race, I came fifth, um, I got um sanctioned to do uh to do a drugs test i went to the drug testing place um after coming fifth i did my drugs test um uh i didn't think anything more of it didn't think anything more of it you know i i, I was on cloud nine um i just done this race i was you know I, I i pretty much had done the race of my life in terms of an iron man my first one mm, i i was actually got married Mm, and then after that i was on my honeymoon and the uh i got a call from uh i think it was phil yard who was the bta head he was in charge of this kind of thing he called me up i wasn't in my wife said oh he's not in right now uh he was i was out i was in spain i was actually going to go to monte carlo i was going to go to nice i was going to go on my honeymoon blah 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 Mm, he calls up and my wife says uh he's not in right now so i come back in I was, he said, oh, Phil Yard called you up from the BTA. This is 9 o'clock at night on a, on a I don't I can't remember what day it was now. This was a few months after, six, eight weeks after the race, six weeks, I think, after the race. And I'm like, really? I think, I'm, that's weird. I don't really understand what that's about, but, you know, whatever. He calls back, and he says, I've got some bad news. I said, bad news? What, what bad news would that be? And then he explains to me that you've, I've tested posti- positive for nandrolone. And at that point, I'm like, uh, what's nandrolone? I've never heard of this drug in my life. And you know what? Believe it or not, I don't really, you know, people can always say, well, you wouldn't know. He was, you know, he was cycling or this or that. I had no clue what nandrolone was. Um, so that's where it, it all began. I mean, my world was got turned upside down. Um, and so all I could think was, well, I had done these B12 shots. I'd eaten all this meat. I got everything tested. Everyone was helping me. Paul Huddle got everything that he had given me, the shots. I even got meat. I got meat. I took it to be analyzed. I took, I went to the, to the BTA and I got some, some follicles, you know, some hair follicles so they could see if I was, it was a long-term thing. Nothing came back. I had no idea. So all my, I, I actually got um, a very, very good uh, attorney because I'm like, wait a minute. 
I'm being accused of something here that I have not done. And I refuse to get told that I, if I found something in that B12 or the me, I'll be like, you know what? Hands up. I, I didn't even know it was there. And I have no idea how this, and now I know this is how it got there. I tested everything. I, I think, you know, I spent you know, the whole thing cost me over a hundred thousand dollars wow. to fight my name, to fight my name. But you know what? It, would I do it again? Absolutely. I would do it again because when someone tells you you've done something and you know, you haven't after trying to, and this may sound familiar, blah, blah, <laughs> blah, with people who have, have done things and then said they hadn't done thing, Lloyd Landis, blah, blah, blah. But to this day, I can, anyone wants to, I can, I'll talk about it. I have no problem talking about it. So what happened was I, I got a good attorney, um, uh, Tony Morton Hooper was his name. And he's, you know, he was the best. He actually, I don't know if you remember the case of the, of the, of, I think he was a Canadian snowboarder who was, marijuana. was, was that marijuana. Yeah. And yep. so he, he was that, he was that attorney. So I said, you know what? This is the guy I want. So I called him up. I said, Tony, obviously, and, you know, their company dealt with, uh, I think they dealt with the, uh, the Charles and Diana divorce case. So, <laughs> this, this, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to mess around. You know, this is my livelihood at stake. I'm, I, I, you know, I'm who I was, and I'm not going to have someone say something different about me. And this was, you know, this was a, probably a month or two. Uh, this was eight, eight weeks after my dad's death. So suddenly... Mm. I've gone from dealing with my dad's death to dealing with all this stuff, and uh, I'm getting called a cheat all of a sudden. So I'm like, you know what? This isn't going to happen. So I got him on board. Uh, I went to the BTA. We, we, I said, you know, this is what I've done, Tony. I don't understand how this got in my system. So he fought it, and it must have been a chain of custody. Did it? Could it have got? Could there be a mix-up uh, in the in 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 the in the in the sampling? So we went a chain of custody. Can you? Can when I leave? When I when I gave them that sample, how were the, was it handled correctly? Was everything handled correctly from when that got from Hawaii to when it got to the laboratories in Los Angeles? And that's what we went on because there was nothing else that I can find that, that was uh, incorrect in my, what I had done. Anyway, long story short, I go to the, my, my first hearing with the BTA. They find that I have no case to hear. The USAT do not like this hearing. They do not like this result. They're thinking they're giving one for the, you know, for one for the team. So what do they say? You know what? We're gonna we're gonna appeal this decision. We're, so I've won one. I, I'm I've never been banned, of course, but they're gonna appeal their decision. They lose their own decision. They lose their own decision in 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 in, a, in another hearing. So then they say, you know what? We're gonna take it to the CAS. So I take Tony and you know my uncle at the time. We go to New York. This is the court of arbitration of sports. So this mm. is the supreme court of all. So what they say pretty much goes. Um, so I sat there. We sit there. You know, and, that, and this is kind of cra- crazy because I have, you know, Mark Sissons at the time called me up and he was working for USAT and ITU. And he says, well, why don't you say it was metrics? Something in the metrics was contamination and uh, metrics was a, a nutritional sponsor. Yeah. I'm like, how, da- how dare you say <sighs> that a sponsor of mine had given me something unknowingly. I said, I am, I to this, I will, I will fight you tooth and nail to this. I will not say something I have not done, and I will fight you, and I will see you in New York. I will see you there and be ready. So we went to New York. I had my team. They had their team. And I think the lawyer um, for them was the lawyer for Tyler Hamilton. And, you know, he'd lost some 
he, after that, obviously, it's shown that he hadn't won any big cases after that. So it was ironic that I was dealing with these people um, in the future that hadn't even happened yet. So I was dealing with Tony and they had their lawyer, their attorney. And so we get there and then Don Catlin, who was the head of, lab, of the labor, laboratory in Los Angeles, goes, you know what? Um, our our labor, laboratory in Los Angeles has made a mistake. The levels wasn't this, it was this. But it doesn't matter because he was still 0.01 above what he should have been instead of... So, in other words, he said the, 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 the calculations in Los Angeles were wrong. Right. Once that is done, obviously, uh, you don't hear anything. The, 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 the three, I think it was two judges and one uh, and somebody else, another attorney, sit there. They go, okay, they hear the cases. But once... You know, it's very, very frustrating to hear that. One, you, you, so you're telling me that that is wrong at the CAS. You couldn't have told me this X amount of months in advance. After yeah. me spending hundreds of hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, no, it wasn't hundreds, I, over $100,000 in trying to clear my name, putting me through hours of agony. And then you tell me at the CAS hearing that this is the case. So obviously, uh, any at that point, you know, we they, he he throws this bombshell. We're like, whoa, what's you know? So the, the the hearing's over. Obviously, I think it was a month later. There was no case to answer to because they've made this obviously horrendous mistake. I mean, you know, once you make a mistake like that of of mixing up any kind of um, calculations in what levels are found in your system, how you know? How can you trust anything that they're saying? Um, and so, to be honest with you, I don't even know the levels, what, what, what they were in the end. I don't even know how much. I mean, because it was an occurring thing that is in your body, I don't even know if there were. It, it, it was such. Um, I was so relieved that I cleared my name. And people say, well, remember when you got. I was never banned. Mm. I fought every single time. I won every single time I went to a hearing. I won every single time. And to finish up with that kind of a, a result or that kind of a hearing for that to come out, I know I do have sometimes questions, you know, when you and I'm not saying everybody who tests positive isn't positive, mm. but you've got to remember that when you hear that, you're like, oh, you know, what? and when you're getting called a cheat, you know, and, I, and, and the Internet was out there. And, and you know what? This was, you know, Internet was becoming um a lot more popular and i was getting judged online and, and you know what i never judge anyone now when i hear about their drugs tests because i don't you don't know the full scale of what was happened and they, you know people make these assumptions they make these they make oh i've read this they've read a, a a snippet of what has happened and then they make this assumption oh he's guilty or he's not which is absolutely so wrong mm. um but i think i actually came out of it with flying colors because People actually were, they knew how the way I raced. It wasn't like I came from nowhere. It wasn't like I came from uh, obscurity, like, oh, mm. Spencer Smith. Uh, who is Spencer Smith? He's never done anything in the past. Why sudden? Oh, he's come fifth in a Y. I've been world champion. And, and, and to be honest with you, I know this isn't even an argument. It shouldn't even, but, you know, the, the, I was a big guy. Me taking Nandrolone is a steroid. And mm. I don't want to get, trust me, I didn't want to get any bigger. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to look like Mark Allen. I wanted to be deer-like. I wanted to be stealth. I wanted to be light. I wanted to run fast. 
And the whole thing was an absolute, you know, it was a very, very traumatic time. And like I said, coming off the death of my father, I, I'm going from winning the world, uh, sorry, winning the, the championships in Finland, the first European drafting championships, to having this happen in 98, it was an absolute, you know, it was an absolute disaster. Um, and did it make me bitter? Yes, it made me very bitter. And did it, did it you know, uh, curb my enthusiasm? Absolutely. You know, it took, did it take away my passion? It changed the way I was. I looked at everything very, very, with a very more skeptical kind of a, a way. And, and it's kind of sad, you know, it's kind of sad. But to this day, if people bring it up, I'm more than willing to bring it up because I can look anyone in there on my father's grave. I never did anything wrong. And I'm very, very happy to talk about it. It doesn't matter to me. No, I'm glad we get that out there. Yeah, what about as an athlete, you know, like post that traumatic experience, you know, it sounds like it was a very emotional time losing your father who was key to your life and then to go through mm. this drug experience. Mm. Coming out of it, you know, emotionally obviously very drained, but, <clears throat> you know, it seemed like as an athlete, what did it change for you then? I, I think what it does, I mean, you don't wake up every day with that kind of enthusiasm and that excitement, you know, and, uh. and you know what, I didn't ever look at people while wondering, oh, I'm a cheat, you know, I, uh, you know, I did get kind of uh, online, you know, there was a lot of people saying, oh, he's, you know, and I decided to go to turn to professional cycling after that, which in hindsight would be horrible choice because, you know, suddenly you're saying you're a drug cheat and then you're going to go and do professional cycling. But people don't, you know, I, I was that. I was that in my own world, like, well, I've done nothing wrong. And I was that disgusted with what had happened to me in the sport. that I wanted to do something that would give me something that I wanted to do from a very, very young age. And try and cycling was that. I didn't even think, oh, I'm going to become a cyclist. Oh, well, that's perfect for him. And I, I read one of the comments like, oh, that's a perfect sport for him. And I was like, you know, excuse my friend, F you. You know, I'm like, you don't even know me. You don't even know anything about me. How dare you? come up with this assumption i i always when i was young i was remember watching you know laurent fignon and greg lamond and steven you know watching the the, the the you know on eurosport or the classics you know uh you know roach not roach but um kelly milan san romo and 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 all these guys win big big races and i said i want a part of that that dirtiness that kind of craziness of it all and I, I didn't do it because I was doing triathlon, but this was an opportunity for me to, to, to do something that I always wanted to do. And it just happened that it was that moment in time that I was so bewildered and disgusted with the sport of, of triathlon that I wanted to do something different. So well, I followed my heart. I followed my heart and I did, I did, I did the cycling. We look at some of the really strong bikers in our sport, like Chris Lieto and, mm. uh, and guys, you know, they're going out there and, and they're crushing the field and, and people go, oh, he should be a cyclist, he'll, he'll do really well. And, and you were in that vein where as well, where you're ex- you know, often breaking away on the bike, very, very strong. Did you think you could make it? And when you actually got into that situation, <clears throat> was it a reality check? And, and how did you go in your cycling career? Because I didn't follow, follow it too closely. Uh, I, I was... It was very short. Um, I was with Linda McCartney, and unfortunately, Linda McCartney didn't didn't hang around for very long. You know, the team was a very small team. I would actually like to have been on a big team and got lost, but mm. I couldn't do that because you know I, I was given the opportunity. Uh, when I started, you know, the difference between triathlon and cycling. Cycling is a lifestyle. Cycling is your life. You know, triathlon was a lifestyle. Sorry, cycling is your life. You know, you race and race and race and race and race. Mm. Where cy- where life with triathlon is, you race, then you train, then you race, then you train. Cycling wasn't like that. 
you know what i remember being fairly uh, fairly no i mean I, I really didn't know what to expect but when i first did my first few races i thought i was strong but you know what there was 90 guys that were as strong as me and mm. so it was a, an eye-opener in the fact that i wasn't i wasn't I, I couldn't suddenly have the kind of freedom that i had in triathlon because there were so many strong guys there was more of a team kind of a deal and um maybe i was a little naive but i think that naivety was good because it, it just it, it just it was just something that i always wanted to do and like i said i didn't get a chance to do many many big big races purely because um of the team that i was in um and to be honest with you i was very very i i had, i just didn't know that much i i just wanted to go on a big team and get lost and and, and get told what to do you know like i did in triathlon and get and get and learn the ropes again i didn't have that luxury and um and you know it just you know obviously the team folded as much as i wanted to do tri uh, cycling i you know i i needed to get paid so mm. triathlon was a perfect opportunity for then go to go back to the sport and and then i, I went back to triathlon again but would i would do i uh, do i regret doing it i absolutely don't regret doing it i absolutely still to this day love cycling i have a lot of passion for it um and i think you know if anything they're doing the most in terms of combating the sport of drugs they're doing the most uh you can't look at them and say they're not trying of course there's a lot of guys that get caught in cycling but there's a lot but there's a lot of testing going on there's a lot of testing going on and, and you know triathlon in in, in uh, if you look at triathlon it's pathetic it's it's pathetic when you look at what triathlon is and how how they get tested in cycling that you can't even compare the two so um it was a sport that i think was a uh, i wouldn't regret doing it to this day i absolutely enjoyed doing it when you came back to triathlon to year 2000 got eighth in kona um from from then on i haven't seen a lot of results and stuff so you did win a couple i'm in yeah t tell us a bit I about did, you saw did, your return yeah no, no no i did win a couple of iron man uh i won when <clears throat> i won florida i won them in record times i i ran well I ran, I, you know, it was ironic that I biked off the front in one of them. So it was like back to my old style of racing. <laughs> and I think I did uh, around, both of them were around 8.15. You know, I'd come second in Ironman, Arizona. I'd come fourth. I'd come fifth. You know, I had some decent results. But if you look at it in terms of dominating like I did short distance, no, I wasn't dominating it uh, like I did then. But, mm, you know what, Ironman is a different sport. You can't hmm. be doing that many races like you did in, you know, I was racing 15, 16 times a season when I was doing short distance racing. Um, did I have, uh, and, and did I want to go back to Hawaii? Hawaii was never kind to me. Hawaii was never kind to me. And I think I had a bad taste in my mouth after the 98. Um, and I, you know, did I give up on Hawaii early? Probably. Did I have a, I, I probably didn't probably should have a little bit more patience with the race and i didn't do that you know mark allen took many many times to win that race and i i suppose in my career when you look at it i, I was very fortunate that when i did a race i won it or came very close to winning it immediately and hawaii okay i came fifth but after that i was never really that close to winning it and i think i gave up probably too early uh in in in, my, in, in terms of my quest to win that race if we think 
about the ego of the athlete. You know, as you say, early on in your career, you were a very successful athlete. And as you said, you kind of tended to win, you know, you know not easily, but, you know, you experienced a lot, a lot of success. Then to come back from the cycling career and then to go into Ironman and to not be, you know, to win a few races, but to not be the guy that everyone was looking out for. How yeah. was that to take on board? Tough, tough. You know, when I got very frustrated, you know, when people aren't talking about me as a favorite, I, I became very, very um, angry. And I became, you know, I was like, what? They're not mentioning me as one of the favorites? How dare they? And that's, that's my arrogance. Mm. But I think as, as a champion, you need arrogance. You mm. need the arrogance. Arrogance is a good thing um, because that is, that's what, that's what, you know, what made me a champion. I was arrogant. I didn't think that, I, you know, if I got on the start line, you damn right I think I'm going to win the race. Um, did I have the confidence in a lot of races? No, maybe not. But did I know I think I had the ability to win the race? I thought I had the ability. Absolutely. I was as good as anyone on that day to win the race. So, you know, I got angry when I didn't see my name on the headline. And uh, when you've been in the headline for so long and they're not talking you in, in that kind of, in that light, it became very uh, frustrating. Mm. And, and then um, I, I saw obviously um, you had a horrific uh, accident where somebody mm. knocked you off your bike, and then you made a bit of a comeback for the seventy some seventy point threes a few years ago. Where, where are yeah. you? Where are you at? Um, sort of at the moment with the with triathlons and stuff. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. I absolutely love the sport. I absolutely adore the sport. And you know, Iron Man has changed the sport considerably. I mean, you know, people you know complain about Iron Man, and you know what? Let's not. They're, they're in it for the money. Let's not try to pretend they're not in it for the money. And people complain about them. Well, if you don't like what they're doing, then don't go to their races. Uh, some of the things they've done in the last few weeks haven't been appropriate. You know, to cancel races very, very close to when a race is coming. Mm. I don't think that is a good way. And I think that's very, very sad. I think, you know what, sometimes you've got to lose some money. But you know what, you've got to build the brand in terms of that race. And you know what, every race you can't make money. But that's, that's what they were trying to do. And some of the races, they weren't making money. Uh, and they were, they were cutting them out, which was sad. And I, and I feel very, very bad for the athletes. But you know what? The athletes make a choice. If they don't like what Ironman are doing, then don't go to their races. You know what? That's, that's as simple as that. Um, but they have you know, changed the sport considerably. Um, so in terms of my... I'm coaching now. And I'm very, very fortunate that I still love to do what I do. I still train. Do I race? No, I don't race like at that level anymore. Do I still get the, the, the itch sometimes? Absolutely. Absolutely, I still get the itch. But that takes a lot of mental preparation, a lot of, you know, always about my, when I race, I was always very, very prepared. And if I can't be fully prepared going into any race, I will not race. Yep. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I put that onto my athletes that I coach now. I try to make them as prepared as possible. Preparation, preparation, preparation. And if I don't feel that I have the mental ability as well as the physical ability, I won't race. Looking back on yourself as an athlete, you know, the kind of the bigger picture stuff now, you know, when you, how would you describe yourself looking back as an athlete in your, in your days? You know, if, if, if there were some words that come to mind when you describe what you were as an athlete. I suppose I would look at myself as passionate. Passionate would be the one word that I would come to mind. I was... I always used to race with my heart and um, that was something that I think came out in the race, the way I raced. And I think that comes out in the way I talk now when I talk about racing, when I talk about, you know, people going to race. And I think that comes across when I talk to my athletes. It feels like 
I'm out there with them doing it. You know, when I give them the training, I don't just give them the training to, for them to do. I'm giving them the training that I, I, I feel like I'm doing the training with them. And that's so, so important. And, you know, I, I see people that coach 40, 50 people and they got their, you know, they've got their, their credentials. That's not coaching. That's advising. That's advising. That's not the way you coach people. I was very, very lucky in my career that I had very, very I had great coaches that cared only about me and they had a lot of passion about me. And that's the way I would like, you know, to be remembered as a passionate guy. And then I'm now putting that passion onto something that I still love to do and being involved with the sport with the people I coach. And that's something that is very, very important to me. And the day that I stop that having that passion and the day that that is no longer there is the day I will get out of the sport altogether. Mm. And anything else you're doing at the moment that you want to share with people? Any um, camps or anything like that in terms of if people want to know a bit more about you? Uh, no camps right now. Obviously, I, I, like I said, I'm putting a website together right now, uh, coaching S com um, is going to be my website and I, like I said I don't coach many people at one time I have coached 15 to 20 people that's it I can't coach anymore and that's absolutely the maximum because it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of energy to coach people properly and I don't want to coach people the way I wasn't coached and that is what I want to do I still love the sport I would love to do some other stuff I tried a bit of clothing I still would love to still get involved with that S2 clothing I love the passion of you know you know the pink stuff and you know I had a lot of you know I was very lucky in my career that I had you know I had a pretty good um, I, I suppose my persona was pretty good and I had a lot of personality and I still want that to come across so anything I want to do I want to do well I won't do it half-heartedly and so for me I'm very very fortunate that um, you know I, I still have that kind of passion like I said what about just, just lastly from um, I, yeah. always, I always have one last random question <laughs> and uh, never never <laughs> with the athletes right now in the sport mm. in, in both ITU and I'm in mm. where do you think the sport is at right now and who, who do you really kind of like as athletes like I said to you, I, I think the sport has lost a bit of character. I, I think that right now, I love Chris McCormack. I've always loved Chris McCormack. You know what? Because he says what he says. He thinks what he thinks. And yeah, some of it is, you know, to get publicity. But he's a character. He's a character. I love, you know, Craig Alexander, super, super athlete. But he's not, to my eyes, he's not a great character. He's not the great character that Chris is. Mm. And would it be unfair to compare the two? No, it's not fair. But I, I know, and I have no problems with uh, Craig. I, I talk to him, and he's a, he's a lovely, lovely guy, a very a family man. Nothing wrong with him. A super, super personality, and a su- you know, in terms of a professional. But he's not a personality. Chris is a personality, and he said, "You know what? I've won Ironman. I'm going to try this Olympic stuff. Good for him. That's what I love to see. And he's not afraid to have a go. And that's very, very important. I love to see the personalities. And like I said. To me, that is vital, to have that kind of a personality. And again, with the Alistair Brownlee and the brothers, different kind of people, but I love, you know what I love about them too? What you see is what you get. There, there's no, when they, uh, I was, at, uh, I just got, I got awarded some, you know, I really am old now. I got like a Hall of Fame golden pig, <laughs> the British Draft on a uh, Federation at the weekend. And, you know, there was a guy up there talking to them about the pressure and, he, and they were like, you know what? It is what it is, but you know what? We're going to do what we can. And he couldn't really break into their kind of he couldn't understand the way they were because they were so blunt so to the point and i think that's so fantastic and that's what i love about them too is that they're they're tough boys 
and they call what they call a spade a spade and that's the way it is and that's fantastic as well so there's two ways of doing it you know and i love both the both them two sort of ways of of racing or and both the characters and i think we, you know we're in good hands right now yeah well england is yes. you know uh, yeah. in the sense that you know we've got some great great athletes coming aboard um and i'm excited um to you know hopefully you know I'm, I'm trying to get a bit of a gig with either the bbc or nbc as as doing some commentary um the olympics. for the olympics yeah bring that on absolutely, oh. absolutely. If, i enjoy it if you bomb out on that you can come over to Kona next year and help us out with a few, few yeah. interviews <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah absolutely you know what i i would love to do that um I don't know why I, I just haven't had that. Not that I've had the opportunity. I'm not going to get the violins out, but I, 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 I look at things in a very, very different light. And I'm not going to call anything that I don't see. I'm just going to call it as I see it. And you know, I think a lot of the times, politically correct. Oh, we can't say this or we can't say that. I don't think people want that. I think they want the knowledge. You know, I've been doing this sport oh, since I've been 16. I'm 38 years of age now, and so I, I've seen a lot of changes. But my the way I look at things hasn't changed. Now, I'm still that same old person who's going to call it as they see it. And I think people, in, people enjoy that fact. Yeah, totally. Well, this has been our first Legends of Triathlon podcast. and It's, it's been, been a good one. It's been a good, good one. Good kickstart. Yes. So. I hope so. And, you know, I, I really do appreciate, you know, bringing up the past. I mean, it's been a nice walk down memory lane. Um, mm. But like I said, um, it's always fantastic to, uh, to bring out. And I feel there's going to be so many. And, I, and I'm absolutely... For you to bring me on as one of the first, I don't know if because no one else is available, but <laughs> I, I really, really do appreciate it, and I, and I don't take it for granted. I really don't. Awesome. Well, we thank you very time, much, mate. Spencer, and uh, all the best Absolutely. for the coaching, and um, yeah, thank thanks you again much. for coming on. Thank you. Sponsor team, and we just want to talk to you a little bit about Extreme Endurance before we kind of wrap up the show. And uh, if you go to Extreme Endurance's website, you'll see they've got lots of different products nowadays. And one thing that they've introduced recently is this kind of concept of a bundle. And that means when you go to the website, you can kind of buy a bundle or a package of different products all at the same time. For example, they have a nutrition of the day, and it's got protein, omegas, and your Extreme Endurance. They've got Nod Before the WOD special, that's your immune boost, your Extreme Endurance and your omega freeze, and then they have the triumph one as well and the triumph is basically all of their products at the same time so if you know that you actually get you know a couple of these products at the same time there is a discount on those products i'm not exactly sure what the exact discount is but it is you know a little bit cheaper if you kind of buy that bundle at one time so if you are looking if you know you use extreme endurance and you use a couple of their other products check out their bundles now if you are in the u.s anything over a hundred dollars is free shipping so that also saves you a little bit of money as well we get lots of good feedback from the people using extreme endurance uh they just you know over the years we've had lots of people emailing us just saying that there's real value in using this product and making them recover better so they can train better to get better results so if you're looking for a little bit of edge in your training check out x endurance for some extreme endurance Right, team. Well, that's pretty much today's show. We're going to be back into the studios next week. So John will be back with me next week, and we'll be back into swing of things into 2016. It's going to be a big year for us this year. It's our 10-year anniversary, so we're going to have that coming up. At the same time, we also are going to have um, you know the camp around that and the racing around that. I'm going to, have to do some training, which steps are going to blitz me, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. So, guys, you have a wonderful week, and we'll be back in the studios, back to the normal show next week. I'm Russ. I'm Mendon. Train hard, train smart, kia kaha.